It's the Misdeeds and Intrigue podcast, featuring stories of royals, scandals, and true crime. Here are your hosts, Carrie and Larissa. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining us. Real quick promise. Please find us and follow us at Mistreat Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We have curated content on Pinterest and Flipboard. Check out our channels on TikTok and YouTube. And if you would be so kind, like that famous prince we all know, please show us some love and rate and review us. Positive vibes only, right? But first, Champagne. Hi, welcome to Misdeeds and Intrigue. I'm your host, Larissa. And I'm your host, Carrie. We have so much to get to today. Well, let's get right into it. Did you see that? What was it? The governor of Missouri who threatened his wife and had sexual misconduct, but abusive sexual misconduct. And now he released an ad campaign for his new campaign. And it's all about, you know, join super MAGA. We're going to take like it's he's got these guns and he's like, order your super MAGA gun today and we'll get them out of office anyway. It's basically saying, let's go shoot the fuck out of people so we can get our place in office. Tonight, embattled Missouri Governor Eric Greitens bowing to pressure. Good afternoon. Today, I am announcing that I will resign as governor of Missouri, effective Friday, June 1st at 5 p.m. Greitens' fall from grace accelerated after he was charged with felony invasion of privacy. The charges stemming from an affair he had with a former hairdresser before becoming governor. The woman accused him of taking a partially nude photo of her and threatening to distribute it if she told anyone about their sexual encounters. Greitens slamming Missouri legislators who on May 18th started the process of impeaching the governor to remove him from office. This is a political witch hunt. Investigators never found the alleged picture and that invasion of privacy charge was dismissed. Until today, Greitens had remained defiant. That I am not perfect, but I have not broken any laws nor committed any offense worthy of this treatment. I'm like, how do we do with leaders like this in today's day and age after people just died in, in a school shooting? I'm like... I only heard about the governor that didn't come home on vacation as as his state was getting flooded. Yellowstone. He's in Tuscany. We're open for business. We want you to come. Finally, the governor is here. We have basements filled with mud. We've had homes washed away. We've had bridges that have been washed away. Uh, but we're committed to rebuild this. He's here days after the floodwaters that slammed his state have, well, they've already left. No one knew where the governor was all week while his people wrestled with the aftermath. T.J. Britton's house sailed away. I spent 16 years of my life there in that place. Governor Greg Gianforte wouldn't say where he was. He was all over social media during the destructive historic high waters along the Yellowstone River that closed the national park. We are closely monitoring the flooding in south-central Montana, he tweeted Monday didn't say where he was monitoring the flooding from. Turns out it wasn't anywhere inside Montana. Questions started Tuesday morning when the lieutenant governor, not the governor, signed the state's disaster declaration. Jan Forte's office told local media he'd left the country Saturday with his wife on a personal trip. 
so the day before the waters rose, and he'd be back ASAP. They wouldn't say where he was, citing security protocols. A federal disaster declaration came Thursday, but still no sign of the governor in the flesh. These floods are a big deal for Montana. Millions of dollars worth of damage. The state's north entrance to the national park will be closed for months, leaving residents of the gateway town of Gardner fearing for their future. It became this ghost town. I mean, there's nobody here. The last time the national spotlight was so on the treasure state might have been in 2017 when Jan Forte body slammed a reporter during his congressional campaign. Sick and tired, you guys! This week's game of Governor Where's Waldo has echoes of Senator Ted Cruz heading to Cancun last year during a cold snap and power outages in his home state of Texas. Cruz caught heat. Today in Montana, the post-Diluvian governor is now back in the saddle. I'm sorry. Sorry you're getting flooded, but yeah. this pizza pie in uh, Positano is absolutely incredible. I must not believe <laughs> Okay, so so I did Herman Cain. Oh. I did not even know. I must have missed something back when he was running for president because I did not recognize. No, what, him. Tell me, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I know. I knew he ran for president, but what is his story? Give me the deep. I have to say, I have to preface this by saying he pa- has passed on as of July thirtieth, twenty twenty, of COVID, mm-hmm. and he was seventy four. Yes. So R.I.P. Okay. Herman Cain, a proud Tea Party conservative, worked his way up from poverty to success in the restaurant industry. Last month, a loyal Trump surrogate attended the president's controversial indoor campaign rally in Tulsa without a mask. Just nine days later, he was diagnosed with COVID, although it is not clear how or where he contracted it. He was a very special person. I got to know him very well. And unfortunately, he passed away from thing called the China virus. Just days before testing positive, Kane defended the president's decision to hold a rally during the pandemic. The Trump Tulsa rally, I was there, I saw it for myself, and it was an overwhelming success. And just before being hospitalized, posting a since-deleted tweet about the president's July 4th celebration at Mount Rushmore, writing in part, Masks will not be mandatory. People are fed up. The Godfather's Pizza CEO and restaurant industry lobbyist jumped into the GOP presidential race in 2011, even leading the pack before the first primaries. A colorful candidate best known for his 999 tax cut, slashing taxes across the board to a flat 9%. My 999 plan is a bold solution. Even parodied on Saturday Night Live. The original goal of the 999 plan was to get me a show on Fox News (laughs) at 9. He soon dropped out after allegations of sexual misconduct surfaced, which he denied. He was part of the Republican Party. He was uh, in the Tea Party movement. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Uh, What's her name from Alaska? President Obama, are you listening? It began last February with an offhand slap at President Obama's stimulus plan by a cable commentator speaking from the floor of the Chicago Board of Trade. We're thinking of having a Chicago Tea Party in July. All you capitalists that want to show up to Lake Michigan, I'm going to start organizing. But it wasn't capitalists or politicians or any one central group who organized last April's tax day protests. Or who fueled last September's Washington protest that drew tens of thousands. Or 
that helped put Republican Scott Brown in a Massachusetts Senate seat. In fact, what makes the so-called Tea Party movement so significant is that it isn't driven by any one personality or issue. There's no list of members or chapters. Best guess is that several hundred thousand participated in one or more of the protests last year. There's no one office or figure who speaks for the movement. There is not a, any definite ideology to people in the Tea Parties. They really run the, uh, the gamut. Republican Congressman Pete King, who's represented a middle-class swing district on New York's Long Island for 18 years, says much of the Tea Party anger is now aimed at the president. Certainly as far as the president's concerned is that he's lost touch with the middle class, that he has an agenda he's going to pursue no matter what. And while you can hear right-wing sentiments at Tea Party gatherings... You know, if media's not doing its job, if government is just taking over every single thing that it can, and we now have an unfettered liberal, the radical left, has got control of the process. In fact, if you were at a Denver rally on health care last week, you might think you were back at a civil rights rally in the 1960s. You know, Martin Luther King is a hero to so many of us because he understood... At some point, if you're looking for freedom, if you're looking for liberty, you have to take to the streets. College educated. He also worked full time for the Department of the Navy. Back in the 70s, he started working for Pillsbury Company and he ended up becoming vice president. And then he was an executive at Burger King. And then he became CEO of Godfather's Pizza. Oh, God, I remember Godfather's Pizza. So he's a very smart businessman. When did he go into politics? What age? Well, it really wasn't until like the early or until like 2011 was when he became a presidential candidate. And he had also served as chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, Omaha. And he Mm -hmm. also was an economic advisor to Bob Dole's campaign. So I think one of the things that kind of made him a candidate for the presidency at that time was he really wanted to implement this 999 tax plan. And I think Mm -hmm. he was very economically concentrated as Mm -hmm. his platform, so to speak. This This economy is on life support. We took five revenue sources that are currently being collected through taxes that cost us $430 billion a year collectively for filing and compliance. So we looked at corporate income taxes, personal income taxes, capital gains taxes, payroll taxes, and the death tax. Then we said, we want a structure where we can expand the base. But the only way to expand the base was to bring in retail sales. And what is the lowest rate that would be simple, uh, fair, efficient, transparent, and revenue neutral? This is how we came up with the 9% rate on corporate tax, a flat rate, personal income tax, a flat rate, and a 9% retail sales tax. So we derive this by using existing revenue numbers. So it is not a gimmick. And we've also had it scored and it will boost this economy and create 6 million new jobs. And I know you're going to be coming out with that scoring report soon, right? Can you tell us when? Yes. Uh, uh, We've already had the scoring done. We're just trying to clean it up such that when we present it to the public, it won't raise a lot of questions. In November of 2011, he was accused of sexual harassment by multiple women. He ended up denying the allegations. One incident with the one who made the formal charge, the only one that I could recall after a day of trying to remember specifics was once I referenced this lady's height and I was standing near her and I did this saying, you're the same height as my wife. 
because my wife is five feet tall and she comes up to my chin. This lady is five feet tall and she came up to my chin. So obviously she thought that that was too close for comfort. Was there any behavior on your part that you think might have been inappropriate? In my opinion, no. But as you would imagine, it's in the eye of the person who thinks that maybe I crossed the line. Uh, I worked for the Department of the Navy, the Coca-Cola Company, Pillsbury, Burger King, Godfather's Pizza. Years and years and years of working in the business environment, working around men, women, all types of people, never, never accused of any sort of sexual harassment. I have never sexual harassed anyone. And so this false allegation to now come up is kind of baffling. But then he ended up suspending his campaign by December. It kind of reminded me of the show Scandal. Why did I think he ran in 2016? 2012. He still maintained being active in the Republican Party. And he was co-chairman of Black Voices for Trump in the 2020 election cycle. And then he passed Mm -hmm. on in July of 2020. So he was actually a minority in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's relevant or not, unless what was his what was his scandal? I mean, I know his scandal was sexual in nature, correct? He had admitted he did give cash to this woman he had an affair with and his wife didn't know her. So I think he was trying to cover up like, oh, I knew this woman. So basically he had affairs. Ginger White came forward and she said that they had a 13 year affair. What? Yes. 13 years? And his wife didn't know? No. And that Miss White said she received gifts and money from the Republican over the past few years, not the Republican Party, just the just mm-hmm. him as a Republican. And mm-hmm. at first, when some of these accusations came out, he tried to cover it up and say that he knew her and the wife knew her and that they were only friends. Then he ended up saying, well, I did give her some money and my wife didn't know about it. So he had more than one yeah he said so she was out of work and had trouble paying her bills and i'd known her as a friend he said i'm a soft-hearted person when it comes to that stuff i've helped members of my church i've helped members of my family and i know a lot of other people have done the same thing and sometimes quite frankly it was desperation my wife did not know about it and that was the revelation my wife found out about it when she went public with it my wife knows now well how much did he give her well over 13 years he was given her Oh, he was like basically paying her bills for 13 years. Yeah, there was about 70 text messages between October 22nd and November 18th that led him to believe she was out of work and had financial troubles. Yeah, that, that, those were the texts she produced. For 13 years, though, like I get if you're out of work and it, like for a few months. Okay, can you give me, you know, five, six thousand yeah. dollars to get me through, you know, a month or two until I find work? But 13 years, come on, that's got to. Yeah, and be there was huge. 70 texts that came out, she exposed for phone records, which was a month, but it sounds like almost like badgering him, letting him know that, Hey, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a job. I need money. 61 phone calls and text messages to or from Kane as early as 4 26 AM and as late as 8 PM. God. So it's like, pay me or I'm going to talk. Yeah. And the girlfriend basically was like, yeah, he made it exciting. He made it, it, he made it fun. He made it intriguing. Herman. God. There was the first woman who went to public with the sexual harassment accusations, Sharon Belak. Belak. Mm-hmm. She at first said she didn't want to profit from the scandal, but then she was facing eviction from her rented townhouse in a Chicago suburb. She was it's like, why not? Served, <laughs> yeah, so she was served with by the Cook County Sheriff's 
an order court summons for non-payment of 7,500 in back rent. And so now they're saying back then they were saying that, you know, she was going to try to try to benefit from it. Another two came forward. Her text messages to me were asking for financial assistance because she was out of work, had trouble paying her bills. And I had known her as a friend. She wasn't the only friend that I had helped in these tough economic times. And so her messages to, work to me were relating to, you know, um, needing money for her rent or whatever the case may be. I don't remember all the specifics, but it was she didn't have a job. She had told me that she was not able to get financial help from family and friends. And that, quite frankly, I was the only person that was a friend at the time. And I underscore friend mm -hmm. that was in a position to help her. I'm a soft-hearted person when it comes to that kind of stuff. Did you help her? Yes, I did. Can you yes. give us the nature? You know, to some degree. To what degree did you help her? Did you? How much money did you give her? Well, I, because of my attorney and because of some things that we're looking at, I can't talk about that at this particular point. Mm -hmm. But it was all financial assistance to try and help her with her. Bills. Because there was a total of four. That's a lot of balls to be juggling in the air. Yeah, there was the woman, the Sharon lady, Ginger White, and then there was three others. Did they all know about each other? Well, I don't think so, but maybe the two did because two, including Karen Krushchar, claimed they were paid off by Mr. Kane at the National Restaurant Association. And then a third woman claimed Mr. Kane commented on her looks and then invited her to his apartment. And then Sharon, that other oh. one. She said he tried to make her perform a sex act in exchange for a job. So I think what happened is that two he harassed while he was at the National Restaurant Association, which was actually right before his presidency yeah. announcement. He served in that position in the 2000s. And I think he paid them off. I think Sharon, he said, why don't you do something for me? I'll do something for you. Mm -hmm. And then she was the first one to come forward. She was the first one to let her name be exposed. And then the other individual, Ginger White, after all these other people came out, was like, hold up, wait a minute. I've had a 13-year affair with him. I need to get paid. Sorry. I mean, that sounds almost like the Vince McMahon thing. Did you hear about that? Where he just did it. He, they found out he did a payout of $3 million. <laughs> If you're paying someone $3 million, you've obviously done something pretty bad. New allegations have emerged involving WWE billionaire CEO Vince McMahon. The WWE board released a statement this morning that the company is looking into a potential $3 million hush money settlement over an alleged affair McMahon had with an employee. WrestleMania! The World Wrestling Entertainment Board investigating its own CEO Vince McMahon over claims of a $3 million hush money settlement to hide an alleged affair. That, according to reporting from the Wall Street Journal. The journal, citing documents and people familiar with the matter, went on to report the woman was a paralegal for the WWE hired in 2019. And the deal struck in January was intended to prevent her from talking about the relationship or making critical statements about McMahon. 
A spokesman for the WWE telling the paper the relationship was consensual, that it's taking the matter seriously, and that it's cooperating with the board's investigation, which started in April. When you're a board member of a public corporation or, you know, getting paid to serve on a board, you have what's called a fiduciary duty to the company. In general, the board is the boss of the CEO of any company. The WWE, which we should note has a broadcasting partnership with NBC News parent company, did not respond to our request for comment on the alleged hush money settlement. But the investigation, according to the journal, includes looking into additional potential misconduct by both McMahon and John Laurinaitis, another former wrestler and executive at the company. NBC News reached out to the lawyers for both men and did not hear back. McMahon's lawyers say in a letter to the Wall Street Journal that the paralegal made no claims of harassment and that she was not paid by the WWE when she left the company. You can see the share price falling. Oh, Mr. Kane, too, when he was in the National Restaurant Association, too. I think he was using this work or this association, and she came out and apologized to the family, to the wife, and said, I'm not a cold-hearted person. I'm a mom. So would that be classified as the NRA, the National Restaurant <laughs> Association? Honey, I'm going to the NRA. Oh, good for you. Stand up for a second amendment. <laughs> what? You're betting women at the National Restaurant Association? So that's all I got. There wasn't a ton of info. I could get into like even more into some of these quotes and stuff. But really, I think he was just a harasser. Yeah, a, a, a lot. He would harass a lot habitual harasser how recent it started in the 90s with those other cases and then the affair started in the 90s and it lasted 13 years so i think he stopped harassing once he got into that affair but when did he stop he was in his late 70s when he died so he probably was still he was 74 he stopped working for the uh, association 99 so i think he got hooked up with that the affair and I don't, I couldn't find any cases where he harassed in the 2000s. Oh, okay. I think the 90s were some rough years for him. Or some good years, depending on how. Yeah. I think it was rough exactly. for his wifey, but some good years. Yeah. Man, he was getting some stinky on his hang down. Yeah. Oh, mercy. We've got so many more to do. It's just, it's just a, a hotbed of, of misconduct, sexual misconduct, conduct, financial misconduct. It's just also fun. I'm always interested in why I read articles about testosterone levels and cheating or how fighter pilots are more likely to be, what is the word? Sociopaths or psychopaths? The one where they, and you kind of want that kind of personality to do certain jobs, but because they can make certain decisions without emotion or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, I wonder because there is so much political sexual scandals, what personality trait that makes them, yeah, it, it it makes them want to parade, if you will. Like they need to be in the public eye. Peacock around, perfect word for it. With an emphasis on the cock word. Sorry. Sorry. Ciao, darling. 
The gene coding for a dopamine receptor plays a key role in cheating for men and women. Sometimes called the happy hormone, it's released after pleasurable activities like exercise, eating food, and orgasming. And one study found that 50% of people who possessed the long allele variant of this gene had cheated on their partner, compared to only 22% of people who have the short allele. The long allele participants also had a tendency to be risk takers and succumb to addictive behaviors such as alcoholism. Perhaps the phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater, may have a basis in reality. Still too early to go to Tiffany's. I guess the next best thing is a drink. I will never be the woman with the perfect hair who can wear white and not spill on it. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Let's play a game, all right? On the count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it, just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, it's me again, and you thought you probably had enough of my voice by now. Just a quick reminder to find us and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Miss Intrigue Pod. Follow us on Pinterest and Flipboard where we collect featured stories from across the internet of royalty, chronicles of interesting events in history, and of course, true crime. Lastly, check out our YouTube channel because everyone has one, right? That features playlists of documentaries and other related segments from our podcast topics. And if you want to hit us up, check out Miss Deeds and intrigue podcast.com, but we don't have a complaints department, just to give you a little heads up. The podcaster or authors assumes no responsibility or liability for any errors or omissions in the content of this podcast. The information contained on this podcast is an as is basis with no guarantees of completeness accuracy, usefulness, or timeliness. A reasonable amount of effort was made to deliver precise data. All views expressed by the podcast hosts or guest co-hosts are their own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of any entity whatsoever with which Carrie, Misdeeds, or Intrigue Podcast, or Larissa have been, am now, or will be affiliated. The content of this podcast is for personal, informational, and entertainment purposes only and is not to be viewed for commercial use. Misdeeds and Intrigue Podcast respects the intellectual property of others. Any audio clips that were not generated by the podcast host or producer was pulled from the public domain, free use sites, and or from YouTube or other authorized sites to gather information. The utmost effort was made to credit the author and or production. If at any time you feel that copyright was infringed, Please email Carrie at misdeedsandintriguepodcast.com and immediate action will be taken to remove the audio clips that were present for entertainment purposes only.